Well, happy Earth Day, all you green divas and green dudes. (laughs) Although, you know, like we say, every day is Earth Day, people. Every day is Earth Day. But I'll say it again that, you know, Earth Day, Earth Week, Earth Month for a green diva is like tax season for an accountant, right? Except a little more fun. Yeah, yeah, probably. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's fun. It, it's fun. We're having fun. It's not We're getting, like taxes. Well, but it is our busy time. It's our busy time. I mean, we're in demand. We got stuff to do, places to go, people to meet. You're coming to Chicago. You'll be in Chicago when this is yeah. airing. Yeah, yeah. Getting on a plane. Yay! So, yeah, we we're doing an awful lot of interesting stuff. Earth Week this year will be celebrated. Um, in Chicago. Yes, indeed. And We're staying downtown at the Hotel Felix, which is an eco-friendly hotel. And it's kind of a That's cool... That's only a one-night deal. It's like eco-luxury, swanky, right? Um, we'll be finding out. We'll talk about that <laughs> in a different show. <laughs> Chicago. Well, we'll do the uh, Traveling Green Divas the following week and right. review all the cool stuff we... We're going to museums. We're going to get together. Well, I've never met Mike Novak. I have. But it's fun for me. We We're Skyped with him. He's very fun. We're going to check out butterflies and the aquarium and nature out there and Bill Curtis mm-hmm. John St. Augustine. Some of our It'll f- be so fun. favorite green dudes. Yeah. And I'm going to get to yeah, stay. we're going to be hanging out with green dudes. Uh, uh, maybe uh, Karen Calabrese. Oh. I think we're going to be meeting her, too. Yeah, I'm really, really looking the forward raw to... foodie. She is um, to be admired, and uh, I'm looking forward to tasting some of her food. And I guess I'm going to stay at least one or two nights with um, Allie Hoffman, Green Diva Allie. I know. it's right. She's right across the street from me. She has three dogs. You'll be... Checking out her gardens. She's our, our oh, resident... Oh, she's got a great garden. Gardener, Green Diva Organic Gardener. So that's going to be all very, very exciting. And this show today is um, chock full of really fun stuff. Not yeah. just fun. Okay, let me let me back up. It's like some powerful stuff too. Very, very powerful. You know, powerful. I mean, Ed Begley Jr. is always entertaining. He's a great guy, but he's got some really interesting information and stuff that isn't obvious about the drought for instance that's going on mm-hmm. and uh, people will have probably already seen that we have a great video with Ed talking more about his house right um, but this but this um, interview with him on this show is a lot about what's going on in California drought and there's some things that like really you wouldn't really think of they have different tiers of water you know, Distribution. I, I mm. really didn't know about this stuff. That should be interesting. <sighs> and then we have Paul Hawken, who is such a doll. Can, can <laughs> I just be like a groupie, a Paul Hawken groupie? <laughs> I think there's a few people we could we could hang out with we really, quite often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I'd really... be a groupie of Ed's and Paul's and... You know, I could come up with a list. Yeah, I Keep know. Keep me busy all year. Yeah. And weren't we just like groupies when we met Ed finally? Oh, we were. <laughs> we were really <laughs> ridiculous. He's like, okay, go home now, girls. <laughs> we love you, Ed. We so do. Paul Hawken is just, I mean, we've been quoting him in some very 
like really intense, great quotes on some of our memes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've always just thought of him as this sort of like, wow, like kind of inspiring eco-activist, guru-ish guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's such a nice guy, so accessible, and we had the most amazing conversation, which you will hear later in the show. You know, he was an activist. He actually worked with Dr. King on Dr. King's team back in the civil rights movement in Selma and the march. And um, really, you know, that, that obviously set the stage. He was a young man for future activism that he, he, he you know, comes around to um, the environment and other, other things. And, and like us, he sort of ties it all together. It's all important. Right. Whether you're talking about chemicals and organic gardening, gar- organic food, or um, human rights, um, it's all interrelated. So, well, funny you should say that because one of his quotes that we have in a meme is, "It's uh, this quote is says all of that. All is connected. <laughs> oh, no yeah. one thing can change by itself." See, that I, is a quote by you know, Paul Hawkins. That and and I'm. Um, I didn't put two and two together until I was talking to him, and he really, it obviously is just um, woven into the fabric of his philosophy. And Mm -hmm. so it was a really interesting conversation, very inspiring, of course. And don't we have an eco-sexy segment, right, about Earth as partner? Yeah, if you love Earth so much, why don't you marry it? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's actually what it says in her post. I know. Which will be going up. I love this woman. She's so interesting, and I loved this segment. It was so far out in some ways, but yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be wanting to listen to this one. Yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You haven't heard it yet. No, I was just kind of reading through her blog, which isn't up yet, but it will be um, when the podcast is available. We'll be posting that. So. Um... So now. You were going to do a Meyer 360, and we said, eh, let's just talk about it up front. Let's yeah, just... just talk about some things you can do for Earth Day to yes. celebrate. I yes. mean, it is a time of celebration. Let's celebrate the Earth and, you know, our ability to uh, nurture that. So y- y- let's each throw out some th- things, but you had some things specifically that you were ready to talk about for the Meyer 360, so you start. <clears throat> well... One one big thing is that, uh, you know, there's 750 million people that lack access to clean water. Mm-hmm. And that is, that number is, that's like 2.5 times more than the U.S. population. That's just not okay. No. So, you know, it's a humanitarian thing. It's an Earth Day thing. You can give water for life for pro- probably under $100. I think in some cases it's like $5, $25. With organizations like water.org, I mean, that's one big one that pops into my head. Yeah, pretty soon Um, they'll be funneling, you know, help to California. Right, exactly. So we don't have a lot of time left, so I want to just kind of move through a couple of things. One thing I want to just encourage people, and every year I write this around Earth Day, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and it is to just f- take some moments, many moments if you can, throughout the day, even if you're busy, and try to connect to the earth. Right. You know, close your eyes, take your shoes off, and walk in the grass. 
um, sit by a tree, uh, admire whatever nature you can see around you and realize that the earth is, um, you know, is yeah, a, I love that idea. You know, a huge uh, nurturing source for us. And, mm-hmm. and I think getting in touch with that, uh, even if it's just for a moment, is probably valuable and really helps you get perspective on why we do what we do. Right, right. Yeah, and on that note, uh, so that future generations can do that very thing, think about planting a tree. Aw. Yeah. That's right. It's also well, Arbor like Day around pretty, now, too, right? Oh, yeah. I think that is on Friday, I want to say. Um, well, trees also help combat climate change. They clean the air. They provide oxygen. And they even reduce violence, which ties into what you're talking about. You know, people well, need nature. I know that Lynn will write. We're going to write a nice post, aren't we, Lynn? Let's collaborate okay. and do that because we have to end this so that we can get on with all this cool stuff that we've just been talking about. All right. Well, happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, everyone. Every Green Diva needs a sidekick. At the Green Divas radio show, they're called Green Dudes. Time now for a deeper shade of green from a guy's perspective. Well, you know, if you people knew what it took to make this phone call work, this phone interview with this amazing guy, you would know how special, extra special this is. It's been like uh, if Mercury were retrograde. Um, but I didn't give up because I'm such an admirer of this man and have been for a long time. And I'm guessing you will know of him and you will know of his work for sure. Paul Hawken is, um, and we've quoted him, you know, he probably doesn't even realize that we're like, we've quoted him on memes, you know, making points on our green divas stuff. Uh, you know, he's an activist from way back. He's an entrepreneur. He's a journalist. He's an author. Uh, you know, you've heard of Smith & Hawken, Erewhon Foods. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. But I just want to get into talking to this inspiring man. Hi, Paul. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for, you know, being flexible and patient as we work through making this phone call happen. Yeah, as long as your listeners understand that I wasn't recalcitrant. It wasn't me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yes. No, please, God, no. No, it was like this comedy of, you know, things, but uh, I just I – th- it was funny. So anyway, you had to be there. So one of the things as I was kind of reading up and, you know, I thought I knew about Paul Hawken, and I'm reading up and I see that he was really present. I mean very present and I think as a journalist during the civil rights movement – with Dr. King, and wow, we started talking about that before we were recording, and you had some interesting things to say about tying it in, and by the way, this will be airing on Earth Day, so we are sort of tying it in. So, yeah, tell me about your experience working with Dr. King and the movement. Well, I was um, <clears throat> went down to Selma, Alabama, and um, before the March on Montgomery, and it was sort of all hands on deck. Uh, there wasn't, at that time, there wasn't that many people. Uh, and so um, I was asked to be a press coordinator, which just to register the press, and it, it turned out that I was doing interviews by default but uh, with the press. But um, So I was basically a fly on the wall 
uh, <laughs> for the march on Montgomery. And then when the march started, then I was a marshal, which uh, means you had an orange thing on, and <clears throat> you were trying to organize what, what happened in Montgomery. Because by that time, 100,000 people had come, and you know, famous entertainers and you know, movie stars and things <clears throat> were there the night before the march, entertaining the people on this rainy, wet, sodden high school playground, you know, yeah. where we all camped out and gathered and slept in the in the rain wow. um, before the march in the morning. But I did get a chance to really spend a lot of time um, listening to some of the great, great orators in the civil rights movement. Certainly Martin Luther King was one of them, uh, and, and if not the best, and but Jesse Jackson and yeah. Alan Asti and so many others. Uh, and it was just a fantastic experience for a white boy from California, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, um, you know, call and response, you know, Baptist church, you know. <laughs> it was like, whoa, you knew something was happening. I mean, yeah. it was so crazy in the town, the tension, the anger from the white people. You didn't even dare to go into the white section of town. I mean, you were safe in the black section. I mean, as a white person, you were safe in the black section. A town, you were absolutely vulnerable and game when you went to the white uh, part of town. You mean even as a white person, if they knew that you were working on the civil rights movement, you were like a target? You know, it's, it's even more. They could tell a block away that you were working for the civil rights movement. They could just see it. Yeah. They could tell you were an Easterner, Northerner, outsider, yeah. that you were in a Selman and an Alabama. And it was crazy, you know. They would come right after you. I mean, it was. Uh, so how uh, how 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 threatened were you? And were you actually physically threatened? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, there. And then I I came back and and then worked for Cora as a photographer. And so then, as a photographer, I was oftentimes right between the marchers and and the people yelling epithets and <clears throat> screaming and. Know, threatening, and so sometimes they would go after the photographer. And um, yeah, I mean, we yeah, we were shot at in a car. We were chased. We were arrested. I I was the first person who went into Meridian, Mississippi, where those three young oh. uh, workers were uh, tortured and killed, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman, and oh. um, and then John Doerr. Uh, who from the Justice Department got an injunction against the Ku Klux Klan that they could no longer march with uh, hoods uh, anonymously. And yeah. I was sent in to photograph them on that fateful day. And so that was another uh, rough day for me. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> they hated me because I was photographing them. And so they beat me up and stuff. So And then after they beat me up, I was arrested, of course. Oh, for lovely. So you get beat yeah. up and then thrown in the perky. Yeah. Yeah, and that night they put gasoline on the roof of the, our quarters, and we, they didn't get a chance to light it, but we, we, we could smell it, and wow. they were going to burn it down. So when you get a chance to really see human nature and its you know, kind of most divisive, um, confused, hate-filled form, it's actually very interesting because that it sounds strange when I say this, but it's, it's within all of us. And yeah, no, <laughs> I believe it. Let's be real. And it's in it's just it's everywhere in the world, and 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 you can just see how ignorance foments uh, 
uh, attitudes and opinions and beliefs, you know, that are so off the mark, and this applies so much to the environment, to climate change, to Keystone XL, to so many of the pressing issues today are still, it's the same mechanism yeah. of, of confusion, of ignorance, uh, and people acting in the worst interests. And so all the w- white people in the South who were suppressing and oppressing uh, black people and anybody else of color, for that matter, uh, were hurting themselves. Yeah. They, they were they were destroying, trying to destroy an amazing resource, which is these brilliant, talented, creative people that we call African Americans. But I mean, that's who they were. Well, and, and they were extraordinary. And as all people, when they have a chance to, you know, be fully human. Well, you'd like to believe that, just like we all have that kind of that that potential for you know hatred ignorance and violence we all also have and so do they those people those very people have the same potential for uh you know love and healing and you know enlightenment and so i'd like to believe that they were really just mired in fear and and that same kind of uh categorization could go on with Sort of the coal rollers and and the, the deniers here that that really, I don't really understand why they're afraid. I mean, to some degree, it's just this sort of cultural. I don't want to change my stuff. Well, I think a fear is fomented by uh, politics and politics greed uh, paid for by business. Yeah. And and this morning on Face the Nation, Marco Rubio, who is running for president, uh, was asked about his statement that climate change was not human cause and. And what he said was that he said that what I, he was trying to clarify himself and say, well, I didn't say it wasn't caused. I'm saying we don't know how much of it is caused by humans, mm-hmm. and and you know science can't tell us that. And he said, but what I can tell you and do know that those people, whoever they, you know, those people <laughs> those who want people. to do you know cap and trade and this and this, you know, to change, you know situation do not know and cannot tell us when it will change and how and they will destroy the economy of this country that i do know and so there you have somebody basically using the the threat of insecurity economic insecurity as a wedge issue to marginalize science and and those who care about the very thing that he is saying will happen the very thing will happen if we don't pay attention to climate change, you know, which is jobs will be destroyed, farms will be destroyed, lives will be destroyed, communities will be dismembered. That's exactly what's going to happen. And he's right, but it's the opposite. It's like if we don't pay attention to it. So so fear is a very, very powerful motivator. It always has been. Our brains yeah. are wired that way. Yeah. I mean, we came, you know, in, in evolution, you know, from creatures who had to pay very careful attention to threat. It's, it's number one. And we're in a transition to, you know, world where we're being responsive instead of reactive. And yeah. the reactive politics, you know, is fear-based, and responsive politics is aspirationally based. So, all right. So you were clearly inspired as a young man to get involved with civil rights and activism, and that had to have played a role in the amazing career and the accomplishments that you've had since that time um 
and can you kind of talk about the, how this evolved into sort of your um, organic, ha, 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 uh, you know, your natural tendency towards environmental issues or whatever? Well, when I was 20 after, <clears throat> I mean, because when I was in civil rights, I was 17 and 18. When I was 20, um, I started a small food company that became a fairly big company, but uh, in Boston, and uh, at the end of seven years, I had 40,000 acres, this is 1973 then, uh, under contract, uh, uh-huh. and it was or- organically farmed. Some of it had been organic, but the fault, some of those, a lot of the acreage was uh, converted to organic <clears throat> agriculture because I had a company that could buy it and pay more. Um, and in that process, I learned a lot about business. I knew nothing about it. And I also uh, learned a lot about you know, what had motivated farmers to move from biological agriculture to chemical-based right. agriculture and gave me a lot of compassion, actually, for <clears throat> farmers. And, <laughs> and my grandfather was a farmer. I grew up on a farm. So... I, I didn't take it on as sort of a, you know, like they're wrong and right. they're good farmers and bad farmers. I just thought, I could see it as a systemic issue yeah. that had just permeated the county agents and the USDA and all impelled by money, I can tell you that, and yeah. and uh, and sales and, again, fear and, you know, you lose your crop if you don't use this pesticide. All that sort of stuff was at play. But it also gave me a very, very... Uh, uh, keen sense of what we were doing to the environment. And I remember being with a farmer in Louisiana, uh, and uh, he was an organic rice grower for my company. And um, these guys were mostly really conservative, Republican, you know. It's really interesting for me. That I is interesting. I don't, think every, I don't think people you know, would necessarily think that. They were good guys, you know. And we were driving along, and he was using... You know, obviously his own rice, it was organic and planting it. And he, we went to a field or drove by a field and there was a dead pelican. And I said, well, what's going on there? And he said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's eating the fish and the fish are eating the rice and the rice is coated with captan, which is a mercury uh, fungicide. And, and, and I, I realized then, uh, looking at the pelican, you know, that, that this, the environment and food and health and politics and money and corporate greed and, you know, which we all impel by our own investing and how we buy and what right. we buy. But, I mean, all this was just so intricately connected. And uh, it really, not that I hadn't started working with the environment I had. I was grow, grew up in the Sierra Club when I was a kid. But, but it just, I knew what I needed to do for the rest of my life, you know. What wow. I wanted to do really was to really you know, deal with these issues and see if we could fix them. Well, and, and you've made that in, intimate connection between all of these things, which is what I, 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 you know, have been talking about it since the 80s when I lived in the Berkshires and we had a little organic co-op and we're supporting our small organic farmers and we understood that back then and other people just thought we were all crazy hippies and which, you know, we were, but... but we, yeah, we were. Cops <laughs> 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 But and I rem- I remember your company and being like oh cool you know because there weren't that many organic right. and large organic uh, farms and products available um, yeah so it was cool stuff um, I had another question and it just sort of evaporated because I'm just sitting here uh, you know just thinking about 
the time that's that's how evolved and how things have evolved. Now, are you founder of the Natural Capital Institute? Well, the Natural Capital Institute was a, a 501c3 I started, yeah. Yeah. To, to research. We did research for a lot of, on water and on environmental prizes and this and that. We also started Wiser Earth. And now we have um, a thing called Project Drawdown, which is the main focus. In fact, we don't even call it the Natural Capital Institute. We call it Project Drawdown. Okay. Um, so we renamed it. Uh, and that is uh, about climate change, pure and simple. Yeah. Well, so if you were to leave our audience on this Earth Day 2015 with one sort of thought or piece of advice from all that you've learned and gained over these years, what well, what might that be? Well, <clears throat> I mean, the, the cliche that everything changes, uh, <laughs> that, uh, and it doesn't mean it's always for the worse. I mean, Project Drawdown is about really looking at the hundred most substantive solutions with respect to mitigation of climate and, and carbon sequestration, and then measuring their impact over 30 years if they scale in a sort of rigorous but reasonable way, and to see if we can achieve drawdown, which is uh, a term that describes the first time on a year-to-year basis where carbon goes down. Hmm in the atmosphere as opposed to goes up. Nice. And um, it is just an exciting, wonderful thing. We have a coalition of 200 institutions and people and scientists and analysts and postdocs and universities and NGOs and government agencies all working together to make the list. And what's happened is that Bill McKibben did this wonderful article in 2012 that scared the pee out of people called The Terrible New Math About Climate Change. Yeah, yep. And, and what the irony is that for years prior to that and after that, you know, no one's ever actually done the math on all the solutions. No one has done the math. Not the IPCC, not any NGO, not the UN. No one has done the math. Overwhelming and scary thought, and yes. And we are doing the math. All right. And, um, and so our solutions include the obvious things of solar and all that, but they include food systems, low-carbon diets, uh, uh, girls' education in the developing world, which has a huge effect on reproductive rights, and and in the, which affects you know carbon just like everything else, and so it's a really great project. And if I well, would say anything hopeful is that I think again humanity knows what to do, but we all pay attention to what humanity doesn't know more than that. I love that Project Drawdown and what you're focused on there is connecting the dots between all yes. of these things and. Yeah. Um, that is hopeful, and we always try to focus on solutions here because there is a lot of scary numbers and scary math and uh, doomsday predictions. But um, I'm so glad you're doing the work you do. And can people find um, Project Drawdown easily online? Yeah, www.drawdown.org. Yeah. Well, it's that simple, folks. Go check it out. Get inspired. Get involved. Do what you got to do. And um, – you know, let's let's make some good stuff happen. Draw down, baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm really you know, losing. I want to say one thing: if you don't name the goal, you won't reach it. Yeah, and I think stabilization is not the goal. I, the goal. I agree. I think that uh, it's 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 um, important to visualize and and yeah, put a put a clear goal out there. And I'm just babbling. I could talk to you all day and listen to you all day and. Um, I w- I'm sure we'll get to talk again at some point. I appreciate your time. 
And um, thank you again, Paul Hawk and everyone. Want more information on this Green Dude segment and other ideas for low-stress green living? Go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Being green can be so sexy. Well, at least you can be sexy and keep it green. Check out the Green Divas Eco Sexy Podcast for ways to keep it green in the bedroom or wherever you like to have sex. All right. Um, we're on again with Jennifer Reed, who is a PhD candidate with the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. She's a barrack graduate fellow, but she's doing a dissertation literally on eco, eco-sexuality, uh, among other things. But of course, we found this to be a really interesting match. She's got some wonderful ideas. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. So I think we have an interesting topic today we're going to embark on. I think uh, we talked about planet as partner. And I don't fully understand, but I, I, I'm, I'm really ready to hear which, wh- wh- where we're going with this. Okay, excellent. Yeah, a lot of it's just being open to, <laughs> open to hearing different perspectives. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, plan as partner. So, um, it's, it's, a, it's really a metaphorical kind of uh, perspective shift that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so in this in this more like modern era that we've been in, um, as as I mentioned in, in another segment that I did, that we've kind of you know divided humans from the natural world and right. really we're a part of it, and that's and it's very harmful to us, you know, not just the environment but our own health. Right. So part of being able to make this reconnection is changing the metaphor from Earth as mother that takes care of us all the time to Earth as lover and an equal partner. Oh, interesting. Um, so there's a uh, there's actually a couple that promotes this. Um, Annie Sprinkle. I mean, most people know who Annie Sprinkle is. Uh, you know, performance performance artist that was uh, you know one of the first uh, feminist porn stars. Um, very has a bit, very big following. Still Oddly enough, I don't know who she is, but obviously I'm going to have to go look her up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's wonderful, wonderful. Um, but yeah, she's very well known um, as far as uh, you know. Like I said, a, a feminist uh, sex worker, um, and then her partner is Beth Stevens, who is a um, an art professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz. And so the two of them have done um, performance art pieces. Um, around uh, same-sex marriage, uh, because when they went to get married as a couple, first of all, which this is kind of same, seems like a sideline, but I'll come back all the way full circle. Okay. Um, when uh, when they went to get married as a same-sex couple in California is when Prop Eight had happened, oh. and they were not able to get married. Mm-hmm. And so they started they started a series of performance art weddings around uh, same-sex marriage, and at the same time they were doing environmental justice work. And so they were kind of thinking about how do we put these two things together? They seem to have a lot of things in common. And they started looking at ecosexuality and what does it mean and how do we put, you know, environmental issues and sexual issues together because they seem to have a lot in common. Interesting. And so they began um, this series, uh, to add into the series of weddings, they began um, actually marrying different elements. So when oh. they, had, they had planned to do seven, a, a series of seven weddings, performance art weddings, uh, for seven years. 
um, each a different color and a different theme that would go with different energy centers or known as chakras in our body. Right. Um, just as, as a way to, you know, as, as a way to, to, to kind of frame these weddings and, and make them fun and, and performance art and colors and so forth. But so in the fourth year of their wedding, they had this idea to add in this environmental component. And the fourth year is our heart center and the color is green. So the color green, uh, it made sense to you know, marry the earth. So right. they, they actually did an earth wedding oh, cool. in California in the Redwoods. So it was a really interesting that they literally, you know, changed the metaphor from Earth as mother to Earth as lover and as a as an equal partner. Well, um, and they a, invited people, you know, they invited people to to come and and join them in marrying the Earth. Wow! So it's a it's a shift in the archetype, as like you said, you know, Earth as parent, mother, um, caregiver to partner and lover, and really an interesting way to look at it. I like it. Absolutely. Uh, and it's really gaining, I mean, it's gaining ground. Uh, you know, some people are like, yeah, it's pretty far out there. I don't know how far that'll go. But it, <laughs> it, it's not even, it's interesting because some people are like, oh, this, this is kind of like new crazy kind of thing. And, it, and it's not really so new. If you look back, um, it, particularly Italy uh, comes to mind. Um, they have had in Venice, Italy, a marriage of the sea uh, where they symbolically right. wedded the city of Venice um, in Italy to the um, Adriatic Sea. That's been going on since like the the thousands. Yeah. Um, and so this is not entirely new. Um, you know, this it started out kind of a symbolic wedding thing there, but then eventually there was a pope who said, you know, um, let's cast a ring and throw the ring into the sea and actually make this like a, a, a nuptial. <laughs> so this isn't completely like off base from things that have been done in the past. Um, and, and at the time, you know, that was done to. Uh, you know, to, to symbolically, um, you know, marry the the sea because their economy in Venice was very dependent on the sea, and right. so they wanted to, you know, to show gratitude and show, um, you know, and ask for the sea to please, you know, bring them prosperity and to to be kind to them so that you know that, that people would be safe, you know, sailing on the sea. So, um, so it's really interesting that this is based in something that has you know has kind of happened in the past and well. that it is gaining ground again. Um, there's a been recently in the news is a Latin American actor. Um, he's actually a Peruvian actor, uh, Richard Torres, and he huh. is uh, he's been said to be kind of Johnny Depp's doppelganger. Um, but he has married trees on three occasions now. Uh, <laughs> really? And and there's you know in uh, in Colombia, um, in uh, Argentina, and in Peru. Interesting. Well, I think there's something to be said about considering. The partnership, considering that that aspect, maybe not as much the sexual aspect of it, which I'm sure people could get weird with, but right. um, but really understanding the concept of partnership and what that yeah. means, and like a marriage, yeah. what does that mean? You know, when you're married with someone, it's give and take, and you respect each other, hopefully, and um, you know you have your squabbles, but in the end, you come back together and and um, you have a partnership. Absolutely. An enduring partnership, maybe the word sustainable even. <laughs> right. No, that's very true. And I mean, and even the thought of, you know, if you, if you love your partner, you want to protect your partner, you right. know, and, right. it, and, and it gets away from this, you know, the earth is tired. <laughs> We've taken a lot from the earth and, and, it, and it's time to maybe give back a little bit. Aww. Well, Jennifer, as always, very, very thoughtful. And I'm looking forward to continuing have, having conversations with you. Um, and, and, um, you know, keep up the good work. 
Thank you so much. I would love to love to speak with you again. Thank you All for right. the opportunity to be here. Thanks, Jennifer. Turned on yet? Well, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. To learn more about this Green Divas eco-sexy podcast and find other low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. The late singer and environmentalist John Denver wrote, The prophets are laughing. They say we told you so. It's one thing to play guessing games, another to know. More on that after this. Everyone wants to be a part of the green movement, and that's a great thing. Going green takes on a whole new meaning when you add tall grass beef to your family's dinner table. It's tender and juicy, and since the cattle graze on the natural grasslands of Kansas, it's also loaded with essential fatty acids and omega-3s that regular grain-fed beef lacks. It's good for you and your family and good for the earth. For more information and to order tall grass beef online, go to www.tallgrassbeef.com. A recent study by a sociologist at Michigan State clearly concluded that U.S. residents support government action to curb emissions when it comes to global warming by both Republican and Democrat alike. However, the study also showed that media denial machines, an organized movement to undercut the scientific reality of climate change during the past two decades, has been highly effective. With a majority of scientists agreeing that humans contribute to global warming, Perhaps the last few lines John Denver wrote on the subject are even more profound. For the needs of many are sins of a few, and the day is forthcoming when accounting is due. I'm Bill Curtis, and Earth Matters. The Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people, who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. Yay! It's our annual Earth Day special, and it's becoming a thing that Ed Begley, our favorite green guy out on the West Coast, um, is calling us. Hi, Ed. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm great, and I'm like I I feel like we're we're really buddies now because we got to play with you out in the West Coast and see your cool new house. We got to hang out. It was nice. Uh... Yeah, it was a lovely time we had together, and I'm I'm grateful for it. Well, you know, it's funny how like you can get to know someone in this virtual age um, fairly well. Like I think you know we we're, we're friendly, but we had never met in person all these years, so it was really exciting for us. And we got to ride in your electric car and go right. See your gorgeous house that's really coming along. And Lynn climbed up on the roof. I stayed below like a wimp. And uh, we're going to have, for everybody listening, there's a little fun video. And Ed um, does a nice little interview, and we get some pictures of his new plays. And we got to meet Rochelle very briefly because she's a busy gal, too, running to and fro. She is that. So anything since we last saw each other, are there any developments in the new place that we should hear about? It's moving along very nicely. All the scaffolding is down because all the uh, exterior is finished. The, uh, the wonderful stucco work is done, and it's painted, and the outside looks like a very nice home, like what it is, a beautiful 
French Mediterranean design home by the brilliant William Hefner. So um, wow. that's, that's really gorgeous now. You can really see what the home will be. Inside, we've made a lot of progress since you were last there. All the uh, recycled, indeed reclaimed wood is stacked up oh. inside the house. That's uh, from old barns or buildings. And is that stables. for flooring and or flooring. kitchen? Yeah, okay. Just flooring. Wow. Only. We'll have a beautiful recycled wood floor, and no trees were taken down. We instead uh, got from North Cal Woods, North Cal Wood Products up there in Ukiah, California. Nice. Has the best kind of recycled wood. They go and they make arrangements with people who are taking down a barn or an old building and go, hey, we need that oak, we need that redwood, we need that material. And they go and get all kinds of different woods. And uh, so I'm going to have a beautiful oak floor without taking a tree down. Well, I'm hoping to be out there again in a couple of months. I have some things cooking, so I'm going to hit you up again if you're um, not off traveling somewhere, shooting some fun, exciting TV or film. So um, You're most welcome. And uh, you'll, you'll also see, well, you can see right now, nearly all the drywall is done. We've left a few places undone as we're waiting to do the penetrations in the roof for the solar racking. The solar racking has just... I think Thursday or Friday, been approved by the city, the design for the solar rack. Wow. So, so that's, uh, once we do that rack up in the roof and we can do penetration through the roof, then we can insulate around all that stuff that's now completed and bolted on the exterior second floor ceiling, and then we can insulate and drywall that. But 80, uh, 90% of the drywall is done, 95% of the insulation is done, and they're doing the tape and mud of the drywall in most rooms now. So it's starting to look, with a hardwood floor, and it's really going to look like a house. Oh, yeah. That is significant improvement. I mean, because it really looked like it was forming, but it was a construction site. Yeah. It's looking less so, like that every day. So cool. So now, one of the other things we thought we would talk to you about, that we were kind of astonished. Just before we left to come out there, you know, a couple of, a month ago, I'd say, um... You know, all this news about, like, California only has one year left of water and, 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 you know, all this news was coming out. So we get there, right? And we're asking people just randomly, like, gee, are you concerned about the water out here? And they're like, no, not really. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Nope. Okay. And down in Del Mar, they're watering the, 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 you know, lawns everywhere. And I thought, what the heck? So tell me what, what your take on it is. Well, People are woefully unaware for it, uh, woefully unaware of it because of the fact that they just turn on the tap and it still comes. And their water bill has been yeah. high in recent years, but not so much it really, you know, kills somebody. Yeah. You know, there are people, low-income people, that are hurt by it, of course. And yeah. uh, but most people just go, "Hey, I'll pay a little. It's twenty, thirty bucks extra every billing cycle. You know, I can live with that." But it's that's gonna. That's going to end very soon, that kind of yeah. modest increase in your bill. Yeah. If you hit the, the Tier 2, or I think there will even be maybe a Tier 3 water system, we'll see about that for a lot of municipalities. You really get hit for that uh, water use. So now, a lot well, of people explain, are wisely taking out their lawns. Explain what Tier 1 and Tier 2, what, what does that mean? Well, Tier 1 would be what they determine for your climate zone. They do it wisely by what your climate zone is. There's okay. a different tier. Uh, given that if you're in the San Fernando Valley, with right. a lot hotter, a little less moisture. And, oh, okay. And so they have a tier of water given the water use, you know, for an average home in that region. Okay. They do it by climate. Got That's it. the way it normally works. Well, that makes and sense. And then 
Yeah, that makes sense. That's tier one, what you would normally use to flush toilets, bathe, shower, cook with, and uh, irrigate your property. But now, uh, they, you know, they're really trying to discourage people from having lawns because we don't live in a region we, we can afford to use all that water. That water that's come great distances, a great environmental cost, is chlorinated and treated, delivered to a house like drinking water. Yeah. We're using that for our lawns. Doesn't yeah. make sense. So no. more people are inclined to take out their lawns, as I did in the late '80s when I moved into my home of 26 years. Which we also uh, got to see, kind of, you know. Yeah, I gave you a mini tour yeah. of that. But the new house, I'll use no water yeah. for irrigation. There certainly won't be a lawn there. But I won't even use uh, DWP water, drinking water. I won't use that to irrigate my tomatoes, my lettuce, my corn, right. my drought tolerant when they need a little bit of water, my fruit trees. All of that will be done by gray water and rainwater. And let me tell you something. I've put in a 10,000-gallon rainwater tank. And wow. even a lot of good environmental friends were saying, Ed, Ed, 10,000 gallons, really? Yeah. You will never. We're in a drought. Anybody get uh, Did you get the memo, Ed? 10,000 gallons. <laughs> you're never going to fill it up in a drought. You crazy? Well, I just checked it at the 7-inch mark, 7 inches of rain in L.A., which is half of a normal year. Yeah. And, uh, Megan, I don't know when it got full. It's certainly wow. full by seven. It could have been full at five or six and going into the overflow out to the street. Wow. I should have looked earlier. But it's seven inches of rain. That's half of the normal year. It's a really horrible year of rain, seven inches in L.A. Yeah. It's bad, bad, bad. And that tank is full. So I will, when when the house is finished and we start to put our drought tolerant plants and put in my vegetable garden, it yep. will all be done with rainwater that we captured on site. Wow. That is extremely impressive. I, I really I can't wait to see your gardens because I could see the remnants, which were still beautiful in your older house, in your last right. house. And, and I was like, wow, look at all. I mean, it was beautiful. And I know it, 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 it you know, um, so I'm really excited to see what you're going to do with the new one. But um, yeah, this water thing, like what about is like Arrowhead, Lake Arrowhead, or whatever it is, water company, and I think even Dasani, are bottling California water and selling it all over the country. What the heck is that? They're tapping into our groundwater legally. You know, they're allowed to. They can get the water rights. They manage to procure their water rights for different areas. Nestle and, you know, all these different water companies go and they buy the water, and they then take that groundwater and they filter it, treat it, and, uh, and sell it in bottles. Now, the truth is there are more stringent water standards for tap water than there are for bottled water. There's not a lot of hoops you have to jump through right. to, to determine how clean bottled water is, but with tap water, there's a lot more. Tap water is better in a lot of places than it is you know, paying for this more expensive than gasoline, the fancy stuff. Yeah. And that groundwater should be safe for, like, now when we need it. Yeah. When the water isn't flowing as much, we should have that bank account in the groundwater. So besides people doing what I'm doing, and I encourage people to collect their rainwater, we need to, what we're not collecting in tanks, we need to let permeate down through the soil, percolate down through the soil to the groundwater, you know, the water table, and to fill up those aquifers so we have water to draw upon. And it was a wonderful image and a wonderful photo op that Jerry Brown, our governor, did recently. He was out there with a huge pole that they usually, that they use to measure in this area for the snowpack, so Uh you can get that snow that melts during the spring and the summer and it slowly releases in the streams you can easily right. capture it it was barren it was yeah. brown and dry and there wasn't an inch 
there wasn't a lick of snow on the ground in this normal place where they measure. That's so scary. That was very telling. A picture often gets a lot of people's attention. So more and more people in L.A. are taking out their lawns. But the big one that we have to address is, of course, agriculture. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be telling people what they can grow, but is it the right place to grow almonds on the west side of the San Joaquin Valley where right. it's so damn arid? Yeah. You know, that may not be the best place to grow that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like one gallon of water per almond, and a lot of them are shipped overseas. It's not like they're, we're all eating them here. We're eating all of them here. Uh, you know, we have to consider that. Uh, it's, it's upsetting because, you know, of course, I love almonds, and it's just making me sad because when I've le- I'm learning, you know, all these statistics, and, and it's upsetting and shocking. And I, I guess there's a lot of people that still don't understand how much water it takes to grow certain things. But how about... This issue of like, okay, so there's all this agriculture in California that we all rely on all over the country, but but all of the pesticides and fertilizers, the chemical ones that are being put in into the soil and the vegetables themselves or the, the plants, and that's soaking into the groundwater and the aquifers, right? It is. You know, there's other ways. Uh, we, we have used pesticides for many years, and... Uh, uh, many of the more dangerous ones have been banned, of course, but still we're using a lot of it. It turns out you have to run faster and faster on the pesticide treadmill to just stay in place. Yeah. Before, you know, we had pesticides and herbicides and fungicides, we would lose one-third of our crops to pests that, we, that were undesirable. One-third. Wow. And what amount do we lose now with all the pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides that we put on? One-third. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> right, yeah. Immune- if we just we're putting all that stuff on it, yeah. and there's other ways. There's integrated pest management. You know, there's lots of ways to do biological controls, to do things that are, you know, in my small scale kind of farming. What I do, I just do soapy water with cayenne pepper yeah. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Keeps a lot of bugs away. Yeah. And there's many large scale options to people. People who are legitimate, you know, uh, large scale or right. medium or small scale farmers that are growing our food for it. God bless them. I don't want to come after the farmers and denigrate the farmers. They yeah. are feeding uh, the country. Yep. Yep. But uh, we have to make things easy on them. But they need to be as efficient as they can. We really need to think where we're going to grow almonds, where we're going to grow rice. Is it, is it the right region for it in the yeah. west side of the San Joaquin Valley? Right, right. Uh, there's, you go up further north, up you get up near Redding and places like Lake Shasta kind of area. You get up further north there. Maybe that's a better place to grow some of these crops. They have more rainfall up there than they do further to the south. You have to start thinking about that because yep. you, you can do that. It's a free country. You can grow almonds there, but it's not like a field you can lay fallow if there's a bad year and you don't get your water right yeah. from the allotment. You don't have the proper ticket in line, like a ticket in line at a delicatessen. Who's got number seven? <laughs> okay, number eight. they got people that had these water rights since before 1914, yeah. and they have the senior water rights. And other people come in, hey, I want a ticket in line. Well, you got number 274. And mm-hmm. you're shocked that you're not getting water because we've been in the drought for ten years. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't. I, I don't know. You know, we have to. We have to balance that out. Well, and and you know, this is you the UN's year of soil, and it makes me think about. You know, well, I, I know we're off the the water thing, except that all I keep thinking is that for what little water is kind of getting into the aquifers, because you all don't get much rain. There was not one drop no. of rain for the sixteen days we were out there. No. And uh, so what little water you get, like, you know, you don't need chemicals in it. You don't need toxins in it. I'm just saying, like, come on, people. 
uh, there's a thousand reasons why um, all of it, you know, all of it has to, to happen. But I love your suggestions, and I had met a couple of people who talked about, you know, getting rid of their lawns other than you, which was kind of encouraging. Right. Um, because I was shocked at how many people were still watering their lawns, which, of course, you have to do if you really want a green, lush lawn. Yeah, I got rid of mine the day that I moved in practically back in 1988, and I was very happy to do it. I have had a beautiful front yard for low those many years, and, uh, you know, without wasting all that water. Yeah, yeah, and and then you don't need all the chemicals and pesticides or whatever. Even if you do the, the organic stuff, it's still a lot of work to do it. And why right. not gross stuff? Or um, put in things in, in your, you know, um, I suppose, what did you put down in your lawn or what are you putting down in your new lawn? Or what would be your uh, lawn? There would be a lot of uh, pavers, permeable pavers. There you go, yeah. You know, that where the water can percolate down. Right, rocks uh, or some pavers. Some of our tape will go to the tank. There will be some drought tower like Ceanosteus and Toyon and California Native Plant Society stuff. And then there'll be stuff that requires some water. Yeah. Trees require water. But well, I'll get my tree water from gray water exclusively. The gray water will lead to the trees. Yeah. All of the trees will get just gray water. And then the, the tomatoes and the corn and that stuff, lettuce that takes more water, that'll all come from rainwater. And I got 10,000 gallons of it, so I can make it from the last bit of rain in April or May to the first bit of rain October, November. Well, call me crazy, but it all sounds a lot more low maintenance than trying to keep a green lawn anyway. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no mowers, no edgers, none of that stuff. It's just, you know, it's not hard to, um, you know, it's not hard to maintain gravel or rocks. So this is going to air the week of Earth Day. Are there any TV shows or films coming out that you've done recently that you want us to look out for? I got a show that starts tonight on TBS called Your Family or Mine. It's a very funny show, a comedy on TBS, and uh, that should be very good. Cool. And then I've got a show that I'm doing with Patrick Stewart and Jackie Weaver called oh. Blunt Talk. Yeah, that's, yeah. That'll be on Stars, and that's also a very good show. So I'm very lucky to have a couple of shows to keep me busy. Well, I love seeing you. It's very exciting. You're not only you're a great actor, but it's just a lot of fun because it's like, oh, there's my buddy Ed. And, right. Uh, and and it, it, it's always a joy to see you and talk to you. And so um, I think you're going to stay on the line and talk to me after this, but I want to just tell oh, everybody yeah. happy Earth Day. And, Ed, thank you for coming on again for our special Earth Day show. Happy Earth Day to you, Megan, and all your listeners. Hope you enjoyed that as much as they did. Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. 
Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com.